0: Poker's legendary champions, next-generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Philosophical Friday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and Duncan Palamortis. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness Podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And since today is Friday, I am joined by Duncan Palomortis. Duncan, how are you doing, sir?
1: Hello, hello, hello. Everything's going well. How's life going with you,
0: Brad? Life is quite well. I can't really can't really complain. I think I've got my health, I've got my sanity. What else, What else do I need?
1: That, that's exactly right. I feel exactly the same way. you know when when you have the basic needs met and the the, the, the complaints, the issues that we have become so minuscule and so uh, niche and so weird, you know people are like listening and say, "What what the hell are you complaining about?" So yeah <laughs> <No> compl- <laughs> we, we we've, we've lost the right to complain a long time awesome. ago, I think, yeah so
0: <laughs> Well, since everything's going quite well, let's get into the meat of today's show, which is, uh, obviously, this is Philosophical Friday. And today, we're going to be talking about biases. And this will not be a comprehensive breakdown of every single cognitive bias that humans possess, because that would be quite the long episode. And so the hope and the aim is to break this topic up into multiple shows um so it'll be an an ongoing series with you know part one part two and so on and so forth um and today we're going to talk about some specific ones that we have highlighted and now uh, i'll let you tell the listener what biases we're going to be talking about or the first bias that we're going to be breaking down in in today's show
1: sure yeah now to uh, sort of like a uh, spoiler alert! I'm, I'm resisting the temptation to have one episode per bias because there's so many things we can say about a specific bias that uh,
0: maybe maybe it, maybe it goes down that way. We we only realize we'll it see. if we get stuck on the first one for an hour. Then okay, yeah, we we messed up. Right, we we're gonna right. do one one bias per episode, but that's right. Uh, only one way to find out.
1: Only one way to find out. Yeah, because I mean, we do some preparation, but a lot of the stuff that we're doing, we're doing it real time, right? I mean, we want to think this through uh, real time and uh, go back and forth. Shockingly,
0: Uh, we don't have a whole conversation that precedes the actual conversation. We just have the first one and we we, we don't always know where that's going to take us or how it's going to go.
1: (laughs) That's right, exactly. But um, I mean, there are several definitions of, of what a bias is. Um, the, the, the way I like to think of biases, um, I like to think of uh, instead of opinions, right? So the, the way I like to think of opinions are, uh, are dichotomized into two portions, uh, the portion which we, again, we would call the bias, and I will define in a second, and, and a, the portion which I will call fact. So essentially, um, what the difference between the two are uh, is that uh, factual um, approaches are ones which are somehow evidencely, uh, evidencely based, so things which are... We have some evidence to uh, external evidence to think that they're true, and then the biases are some internal evidence uh, to think they're true. So essentially, we have uh, these these two opposing forces, which internal versus external, uh, which together they combine what will form an an opinion. And an opinion can be uh, factually dense, or an opinion can actually be uh, bias dense. Now. of course we can get into the weeds because what does it mean external what does it mean to be internal and uh, this can be very 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 complicated so for the well, for the sake of
0: i would like to say too we're shockingly inept at um distinguishing between the internal and the external and sort of assuming that the internal is factually true when that may not be the reality at all right we're just so, correct. poorly um designed <laughs> biologically to to discern well correct
1: correct exactly so uh, but uh, in terms of a heuristic that we can use for for biases which we're interested in because again what 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 a fact is is not any easier than what a bias is right uh, even though we like to think that sort of like facts are good and and biases are are bad or uh, along among those lines but it's it, along those lines but it's actually very harder much harder than this um for exactly the reasons that you said it's very difficult to distinguish but let's say heuristically uh, bias is a predisposition to a certain um uh, to a certain direction regardless of uh, regardless of environmental factors, and I would say environmental factors include both external and internal. So that we, an, an example of that would be, um, you know, uh, someone who says, um, you know, uh, uh, strawberries are delicious, right? I mean, I feel strawberries are delicious. No matter what you tell me, it doesn't matter if you tell me they're bad for you, or it doesn't matter if you tell me, you know, they uh, they've been poisoned or whatever it is. I think they're delicious, so I'm predisposed to think they're delicious, no matter what. Uh, the, the circumstances are. So that would be a bias towards strawberries, right? <laughs> but uh, of course, um, the biases can become more dangerous. When, I think
0: I have that bias. Dr. Uh, you
1: have, uh, me, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I have bias towards beards too. <laughs> so, <laughs> and we were thinking of tackling a few examples of those biases so that, uh, you know, the things will become more more explicit. For example, the, uh, the number one uh, bias that we we're thinking of talking about today is what is known as the Dunning-Kruger effect, which uh, basically in, in a sentence is the more you know, the less confident you're likely to be. So that's not the bias, that's actually the the, 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 the reality. This sometimes people call that, you know, the circle of confidence as uh, I think Neil deGrasse Tyson has a very nice way of, of, of explaining this. The idea that um, knowledge is like a, a circle which is uh, which expands as we get to know. But as we get to know more and more and more and more things, the circumference of that circle becomes larger. So the more we know, the more we realize that we don't know because that circle grows, right? So, uh, and that is the thing that typically when people uh, are uh, in a certain domain, because again, there's very different domains, uh, Somebody can be ha, ha, can have a very large circle on a certain domain and a very low circle in another well, domain. Yeah,
0: when you when you broke it down that that way, the Neil deGrasse Tyson um, little metaphor there, it made me think of like a child who's mm-hmm. like five years old. That if you ask them, you know, they know all the things about the world, right? Because their world right. is only their home for the most part, right. part or the park uh, with their mom and their dad. But as they learn more, as they know more and gain more knowledge, everything kind of expands to the point to where, you know, uh, most, most adults, uh, I hope, uh, a- after the age of 25 recognize there's a lot of things that they actually don't know. And a lot of things that will forever remain um, hidden or unknowable to them just because we don't have enough time to know everything about everything
1: that is exactly correct and one of the things that happened with with children in particular is that at some point in their lives you know their first god sort of collapses right their parents right because they think that their parents know everything so the first time one of the parents says i don't know or they the kid doesn't get a satisfactory answer for the first time something collapses there like that's again we can see the circle growing and that is very very much true um so
0: Unless, so, unless we're talking about my kids, because I, I know I know everything, <laughs> and I've never said I don't know to them ever. <laughs>
1: that is that is exactly right. That is exactly right. Uh, uh, so um, yeah, well, I, well, I was I was about to say like you know the the, the, the Kruger effect. Um, I guess if we were to put it in a form of bias, is that uh, sometimes people think they know more than they do. And that's because, in order to um, to know what you don't know, you need to be already knowledgeable. Yeah, and I know. We, that's, that's,
0: actually, I would frame it a little bit differently in that it's really hard to know what you know. Um, also, on, on both sides, right? Some mm-hmm. like as you gain mastery and access lots of knowledge and have lots of knowledge on a specific topic, um, you also underestimate how much you know relative to other human beings. So it's more of mm-hmm. like a, a our relative um, proficiency with whatever it is. When, when we're new to something, we overestimate. And then when, when we're masters at something, we underestimate, which is, yeah, just interesting in its own right.
1: It's it's beautiful that you mentioned that because, again, that is, again, related to another bias, which is the, the curse of knowledge, right? I mean, you know, which it becomes – Um, you know, the more, the more we know something, the harder it is for us to gauge how much we actually know versus, versus other people. And and you can't
0: unknow it either.
1: You can't unknow it. Exactly. And
0: one thing about Dunning-Kruger, and I I actually, uh, I have a Wikipedia bias, um, that's built Mm -hmm. into me. I tend to trust Wikipedia without, Mm -hmm. um, diving deeper into the references, but I I do remember reading at some point on Dunning-Kruger that interestingly, the study, um, is also culturally based, that it's mm-hmm. it's has a higher relevancy to Americans versus like mm-hmm. Japanese, um, which is just like an interesting side note in the Dunning-Kruger effect and how like, I have no idea the, the why that would be the case other than like cultural, just the, the way that we think about ourselves, the way we self-analyze maybe how teachers build us up or how society builds us up. Um, sort of over time gives us this false sense, uh, Americans, uh, a false sense of confidence to their proficiency in any given topic or hobby or whatever you know subject it may be. But I do remember reading that and thinking that was quite interesting. That like the other the, the other variable of culture can also affect um, these biases.
1: Absolutely, and that's actually very true. And it can be a good a good and a bad thing. I mean, the bad thing is like you know, like sometimes I'm joking. There's two types of confident people. Those who think they know what they're talking about, and those who know they don't know what they're talking about. And they're like, you know, what's the point of not sounding confident? I might as well, right? So you're absolutely correct. But the good thing is, uh, in what you just described, that sometimes cultures, and for the most part, cultures have wise elements into them. So these quick heuristics, like these uh, cultural elements can help guide certain new people into like the, the youth, for example, of the culture, right? Which uh, it, it's the wisdom that, you know, the, the predecessors are passing on to us. And of course it's it's the youth's responsibility to question some of these ideas moving forward, but we do need, you know, as you know, the, the, I, I'm no longer, you know, I don't qualify no longer as youth, but, you know, we do need to have our youth you know, to, um, you know, the the older people give the youth the opportunity to learn some of the things that they struggle with. So I think that these cultural elements can potentially be useful, but you're raising the issue that they need to be questioned like everything else.
0: For sure. And if you were to ask, you know, my grandparents, then I'm should have been a Calvin Klein model and major league baseball player all rolled into one, along with, you know, being an intellectual that changes the entire known universe, right? Like that's just the—that's <laughs> how they see their genes in a younger form. They're like, yeah, that right. one. They're gonna change everything. Look at them! Look at them go.
1: But but no pressure,
0: and no no pressure. He's just amazing at everything, <laughs> and we'll just. You can do anything you want, anything you want, right? Like that's, that's the thing that we tell, we tell kids. You're, you're smart enough. You're capable enough. You can do anything in the world that you want to do. That's not, that's not pressure. And also doesn't build ego and <laughs> doesn't, doesn't make somebody believe that like the first time you touch anything, you're, you're already a master at it just from, from the, the jump.
1: Right exactly, and uh, that's actually an, an interesting topic you know talk, talk a little bit about psychology, you know, like the benefits and 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 the downsides that's that's actually a pretty interesting one because there's some good elements to it, and there's also some bad elements to it but uh yeah, yeah. Maybe-
0: I mean yeah. it is, but yeah I, that that's sort of my just sort of philosophical thought on why culture or how culture can affect. Um, the the Dunning Kruger effect, like downstream, is just giving human beings a false sense of confidence in what they're capable of uh, before investing any energy into sp- any specific endeavor or topic. Because I can say I, I was speaking in jest earlier, you know, and it's it takes me an obscenely long amount of time to to feel like I do some, something or anything well. Um, Mm -hmm. Like years and lots of hard work. Um, And even then, like copywriting is one of the things I've spent years studying it, learning it, and I still feel like I'm just an amateur compared to Mm -hmm. some of the human beings that exist in the world can just write things that are just amazing.
1: Yeah, and in in my case, I never do like feel like I I do something well. This is the this is the weirdest thing. But the you know it's 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 a blessing and a curse. I mean, you can always you can always improve, but uh, yeah, at at the same time, you know, it's you don't get the satisfaction of. You you don't think you're a
0: good good teacher? You don't think you're?
1: I I can I can so much better. Like I go I go like out of the. That's the thing. That's why you know I stay up at night because I'm saying I could have done these things so much better. You know, like I go out out of my class sometimes and I say this is, I could have done such a better job, you know, you know, yeah. you can, there, there, there can be sessions you can say, you know, well, I did the best I could, uh, but th- there's always this thing that says uh, you could have done this here, which, which could have been different, or you could have tried that, or you should have been more attentive to that question or think, things like that, you know, just, um, um, yeah. So it, 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 if, we're, if we're framing things in terms of, you know uh, relatively you know did i you know did alex did a better job than bobby at the poker table that that can be answered but it's also sort of irrelevant because if alex you know if alex puts her standards are uh, equal to bobby's standards she's not doing a personalized work right? So that is another issue. So it's like, did Alex perform as well as Alex could have performed? That's, uh, you know, and again, and I'm, I'm talking about Alex because Alex is an idealistic, right? <laughs> idealistic person, right? Yeah. You
0: know, yeah. I, 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 I asked a question no, about, I'll let yeah. you work this out with your, your therapist yeah. down the road. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. I asked a question to Duncan and you, you started yeah. talking about Alex and Bobby. I don't yes. know, <laughs> but I understand yeah. what, what you're saying, right? Like yeah. it's classic, um, high achievement, high performer thoughts and self-flagellation of, I did something that most people really loved, and yet we have this sense that we could have done it much better. And so instead of focusing on the positives, which by the way, we have negativity bias is one of the things, um, we focus on what we could have done better or how we feel we fell short, even if nobody felt that we could have done better except ourselves, which is the only opinion, I guess, that affects us uh, deeply.
1: Right. And and, and in in, in defense uh, of that sort of like a psychological approach, I don't tend to be a a negative person for the sake of the negativity. The reason why um, I concentrate on the things that can be improved is because I'm thinking to myself, there's not much I can do about the things that cannot be improved, whatever those may be, even whether they can be improved or not. I mean, it's irrelevant at this point, right? So it makes more sense to concentrate on the things that can be improved and yeah. not waste time on the things that cannot be improved. Well,
0: you know, I mean, I, it's, of course, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I uh, this is, we're we're getting on, on a tangent I, now. But so basically, like, there, there have been periods of my life where I've struggled with being happy, right? I've struggled mm-hmm. with feeling kind of blase, below average, um, low energy, low motivation, and kind of a negative or pessimistic view of the world. And so, you know, the things that we learn about, read about, try to figure out tend to be problems that we have ourselves, right? So I read lots of books on happiness, right? And what mm-hmm. is happiness? Where does it come from? What are like the the core things that make a person feel happier more often? Um, and one of those things is uh, savoring, right? There's gratitude, savoring, and service, which are kind of the three triangles of happiness, serving other people, uh, being grateful for what you have, like genuinely feeling grateful for having running water and Mm -hmm. just all all the things, um, and and savoring the good, right. Savoring the happy moments or the moments of triumph and kind of just sitting with that, that emotion. Um, and I think that high performers especially have trouble savoring. Um, they have trouble accepting compliments. They sort of deflect, Mm -hmm. uh, and they don't or rarely, at least in my case, and I could be projecting to everyone, they rarely say like, Well done, you you did good. You know, you should feel let yourself feel good about this for at least some period of time before, you know, it's back to the drawing board. But that's something that is sort of innate in my biology, I I believe. I, I've remember many instances of playing sports, winning, doing, you know, achieving at a high level and never feeling anything except relief that right. I did what I was supposed to do. Right. This, so, this is right. like the expectation. So right. there, there's limited joy and always <laughs> negativity when things don't go according to plan. And I've had to like force myself to savor the savor, the good moments, savor those times where like, wow, yeah, I just did that. And like, that's, that's cool.
1: Absolutely. And, and you're absolutely correct about that. And the one thing that I'm, I'm going to add, I love the tangents, by the way, that's why it's Philosophical Friday, right? Because we're going to explore those, these ideas. But uh, the only thing that I, 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 I was going to add is that there are at least two different types of savoring these kind of moments. There's the, the moment of basically, you know, like uh, uh, sitting on that win, and then basically feeling a little bit as if it's the end, end all, be all. You know, like I did it. I'm so awesome that nothing matters. And there's the other thing that said, uh, okay, yeah, that was you know, you know, I I performed well. It was a good 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 thing. I did what, what, I could have done in this case. It worked well. Good job. Let's move on. Right. I mean, there is there is two different types of savoring. Like the 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 danger of uh, one type is that one can feel a little bit too comfortable into a certain situation. That's that's the that's the concern of mine which is why i i typically say it's not necessarily negativity but it's not positivity either it's more of like realism you know there's yeah. a lot of more work to be done it's okay to pat yourself in the back you did what you could it's the end of the day it's time to sleep that's great but then there's going to be a tomorrow and we need to remember i mean I, there's no such thing as need when i say we i mean that's what i'm i'm telling myself right i mean i need to remember about tomorrow that's what we means in that
0: case yeah who's the we when you're referring to yourself here to it, it's, <laughs> all, it, 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 <laughs> all the it's facets of of duncan no i I, yeah. I don't want to ask that question because that's gonna that's gonna take us down to a whole nother level we, um, we're
1: gonna talk about the power of now in eckhart tolle right because he's talking about exactly his the same things that he had right, in relation.
0: Right. who's the we? okay we're not uh, gonna talk who, about who's the <laughs> we. My, my hand hurts right well like who, who am i right if this is my hand Anyway, it's exactly. Uh, but but, um, but let
1: us know in the comments, or if you guys want to talk about, you know, like the the inner self and the I and all of that, you know, sort of like a, a psychological stuff of uh, the, the inner self and the talking I'm, to oneself.
0: I'm personally like I've thought about that a lot. I've read books, and it's something that is actually quite meaningful to me. Figuring out, you know, what I am, um, right? But not on the agenda for today's show Uh, on the last thing that that I'll say on savoring specifically is it doesn't have to be related to high performance either. I remember a very specific example and um, I'm quite proud of myself for actually realizing this in the moment because it's something that I I almost never have in my life. Um, But the time when I met my wife, like the time when she was coming to visit cause we lived a few hours away from each other and we had been talking and we'd finally like set up to go out on a date. Right. And I remember like waiting, um, for her to arrive and feeling like, you know, all the anxiety, all the internal feelings of like waiting for this thing to, to happen. Um, and I remember in the moment thinking like savor this, right? Like this is this is a rare feeling and it may be the last time that that you feel something like this, right? Like uh, in this specific context a- and right. I remember sitting there for, you know, a few hours and just savoring that feeling, the excitement, the anxiety. Um and quite meaningful uh quite quite a meaningful experience and obviously a, a memory that I have, you know, forever. I, I wish I could be that wise all the time but like in that moment i kind of just i was like wait instead of being like ah, i wish you would just like get here right it was like let's let's savor this instead um which was a way better uh just a a way better um path in my opinion
1: absolutely absolutely and that's the thing you know like we we have these these moments of epiphany you know which uh and that that's i guess what you can call it an epiphany you you figure it out and that's uh, that's great
0: Um, But now let's go to Dunning-Kruger. Excellent.
1: So that's an excellent segue. (laughs) Perfect.
0: Well, smooth.
1: Super smooth. So, uh, But let me just uh, say something about the the Dunning-Kruger. We do have a list here of some of the most famous biases. And uh, the explanation um, um, we, we have here is because experts know just how much they don't know, they tend to underestimate their ability. But it's easy to be overconfident when you have only a simple idea of how things are. And actually, I really like, they have a quote from Bertrand Russell here, uh, a very famous philosopher and logician of the previous century, uh, who said, the whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are so certain of themselves, yet wiser people are so full of doubts. So this is a, (laughs) this is a burn. That's, uh, I guess we can call it. So this is a burn, basically saying that um, it is easy to have confidence uh, when you don't know something than when you start knowing a little bit about it. Because the more you uncover uh, about a certain topic, the harder it becomes, because there's like more. uh, It's sort of like a roots of a tree. You know, the more you dig, the more complicated the roots get. Uh, But... um, yeah, one question I have for you, which I think is, is is relevant to us, how does the Dunning-Kruger effect apply to poker?
0: Well, like uh, on both sides of the coin, you have a new player who plays poker. I mean, think think about every time you've read on Twitter or Facebook comments or YouTube comments about like online poker being rigged because of right. some sort of Like distribution that is like just not possible, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, um, under like when you start playing poker and poker is like a deceptively easy game to learn that, and we've talked about the complexity of the game that when you don't really know a lot about what's going on, it's quite easy. Um, You know, when you're five years old, wandering around in your house and asking your parents who are God everything. Well, that's sort of the same little metaphor that happens in poker, right? You get in there, you you learn what the rules are, and then, oh, well, I know what the rules are, and so therefore, I'm quite good at this game because now I can click the buttons. Um, and you just overestimate how good you are. Because, and this is, I don't know exactly how this ties in, but I have been watching on HBO Max, Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart, and in one of the episodes, she talks about comparing Um, and how human beings are hardwired to compare um, and compete. Right. And it's actually kind of like a crunch from both sides where you want to be like everybody else except better. Right. Like (laughs) you want to be, you want to be just like everybody else, but only better than them. You don't want to be excluded. So it's so totally different. You're out, but you want to, and you know, we, we're always in this crunch of comparison. And I think like, Because we're hardwired to do so in poker, that's the thing that we start with. It's like we start comparing how we're playing versus other people. We gain some knowledge and we recognize, oh, this player is like limping all the time. They're terrible, right? And I'm good because I'm not limping anymore. Um, And then that just sort of uh, snowballs into, well, I must be better than all of these other players that I'm playing against. And, And then, yeah, we kind of accept... Our anecdotal experience in poker, which is another just giant pitfall that leads to all these uh, biases down the road, um, we just e- expect that like we figured it out, right? And we've, we've got the answers, and that makes us misjudge our competency. Um, and then that's sort of the, the first part of Dunning-Kruger is overestimating how confident you are at, at, at a specific task.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And you did mention basically another bias, the bias of overgeneralization, general, over the idea that you see a, a small sample there, and you may be right about a certain uh, skill differential that you have from your opponents, but what you really are saying is you have a skill differential against those specific opponents. That doesn't necessarily generalize to the entire pop- poker population, especially uh, you know if you're yeah. in, in, in tough and tables.
0: Maybe you just have a an edge pre-flop, right? And
1: that's right. You know, like that's
0: it. It could just that's be true. like at one phase of the game where you you have this edge and then you give it all back post-flop because you're atrocious, right?
1: That's exactly right. And 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 to add to your very very good point. I mean, you know, I mean I had Candles conversations about, you know, online poker is rigged. And and by the way, um I'm gonna put a parenthesis here because I, I do want to go back to that. I just want to say a quick tangent on that. But before that, uh, but there's the other side also. So there's the people who think that poker is rigged, but there's also the people who think that uh, they're so good at poker when they start out, right? Because again, it depends on what side of the variance you fall at the very beginning. Well, well,
0: right. But saying that it's rigged is also saying that how good they are. Because right. if it were was not rigged, then they would obviously be winning. I think that's that's the conclusion Correct. that I come to. When when people complain about that, they're saying, well under fair circumstances because i'm so much better than my opponents i would not lose therefore because i lost it must be rigged
1: right exactly that's a, that's a very good point yes and 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 sometimes you know like uh, uh it, it, it can be you know like ne- neutral or uh you know or or winning players in, in their minds i think that at least neutral or usually winning players you're absolutely correct um but the um no i think those that- are
0: losing players <laughs>
1: No, they are, but in their minds. I mean.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. In their
1: in minds. Their minds. Yeah. Yes. Okay. No. No. Absolutely. 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 Yes. Typically, they're, they're losing players, and it's very difficult to actually um, show it to them. That that's another issue, which is part of the uh, the parenthesis that I wanted to address. When it comes to um, a poker being rigged, we have to be incredibly careful because there is um, a point where actually poker could be rigged and we should be able to identify it, right? That's where things get really complicated. And that's this is something I've actually written about it extensively, and maybe at some point we, we can address it, but it's not, the, the, the spoiler is, it's not what most people think it is. So poker players should have a high threshold for variance, but there is a certain threshold of variance that if you cross it, then you sort of know that this is no longer due to randomness, right? This is there's uh, you know a, there's some some foul, foul play going on, and it's it's incredibly complicated. But there's an entire theory, a mathematical theory, uh, which is called statistical inference, is the fancy name, or essentially hypothesis testing, which essentially tells you you know if things were random in a certain way, you would expect to see certain things. If you don't see those things, either. You got incredibly unlucky to the point that you know um, you should probably buy like eleven trillion uh, lottery tickets, or uh, you know, it's just uh, something is rigged. And right, one and has
0: to be. A good example of that it comes from the poker apps that were so prevalent on the market maybe four mm-hmm. or five years ago, uh, Poker Master and their ilk, where I know. A group of human beings that lost something ran ran somewhere in the order of like thousands and thousands of buy-ins below EV when mm-hmm. af- after they were all in on set apps and they proved right. math mathematically that it was impossible for such a thing to to happen. Um, and that that's sort of like what what I think about when, when I think about what you're saying, right? It's like right. there is a way to prove that you know outside of it just the odds of, of this specific thing happening in this specific way are just like almost non-existent to the point to where we can say that something is up with the RNG or something is like yeah. happening behind the scenes.
1: That's, that's exactly right. But um, there is also a, a bias. It, it's funny that you mentioned that because there's a bias that ties to that idea. And that idea is that, you know, um, I often, often tell people, you know, let's say we play Yahtzee, right? I mean, you take five dice, and you you roll the, those dice, right? And then you roll them, and then you get a random thing, like a random looking thing. Let's say you roll a, a two, two, three, five, uh, six. Two, two, three, five, six. And then I like, I'm asking, I like that
0: you said random looking, by the way. But we, we Yeah, can, exactly. We move, move exactly. Yeah, to. of
1: course. Yeah, because that's that, that's the problem. And you know, the person is like, Oh my god, you know, like I mean, this is just nothing. I mean, I rolled a nothing. But if you think about it, try to roll that exact thing again. Of course, right? You gotta right? roll so, something. Right. You got to roll something. So, what you rolled is actually very unlikely. Any roll is unlikely, yes. Right. So, the question is where do we ask the question? Because if we ask the question ahead of time, try to roll a two, two, three, five, six, or whatever it is that I said, right? That's going to be very difficult to do, right? But in actuality, you know, we're not thinking those terms. If you roll a two, two, you know, um, three, five, six, you're not going to think uh, think at all about it. But if you roll a one, two, three, four, five, six, you're like, oh my god! I mean, it's it's in a row. I yeah. rolled a straight, or or or, or right, right? Right.
0: Or five, 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 five. five right. Exactly. Like all six, which which is. Exactly the same likelihood as any other random role
1: correct. If we color the, the dice, I mean we don't want to get any like any, any degree you're absolutely correct. no no, no, no <laughs> you're right, you're right. you're absolutely correct. yeah. so every every role has has the same output, but certain roles they look they they look more appealing. and and I know there's going to be some people who say, you know, Duncan, we have to take a, a, into account the permutations. We're not talking about that. I mean, like like color code the dice. so and every outcome is going to be is going to be unique in that sense. But, but anyway, that's another type of bias, you know, like it's the idea that uh, because we um, uh, we sort of like, I guess we can say um, conventionally decide that certain uh, outcomes of, it, of the dice or certain outcomes of the cards, like for example, you can say ace of spades, ace of hearts is more important than seven of spades, deuce of hearts. Right. I mean, both of these outcomes are of equal likelihood, but for a conventional reason, we decided that ace of spades, ace of hearts is going to be better than seven of spades, deuce of hearts. Right. That's the same idea. And then we we have like this bias to say, to talk about luck just because certain hands are more important than
0: others. Right. And if you play a poker session and you get dealt 30 hands in one hour, right? Like what? statistically are the odds that you got every single card that you got in the exact order that you got them. Right. Exactly. Very low. However, you must get cards. And so they, they must be something. Um, and I think human beings are predisposed to also find patterns. You know, we're kind of pattern seeking machines, which also Mm -hmm. kind of plays into, uh, play plays poorly into believing that like poker is rigged or trying to like, seek these patterns and make sense of them in a way that like you can, they can understand um, when they're just noise for a lot, lo- most part.
1: That is exactly correct. And this is actually legitimately a good segue for the next bias, which is confirmation bias, right? The idea that you look for ways to justify your existing beliefs or looking for patterns where none exist, right? The idea that, um, and, and, and the, the definition that we have here is that we are primed to see and agree with ideas that fit our preconceptions and to ignore and dismiss information that conflicts with them. And uh, Richard Feynman famously has said that think of your ideas and beliefs as software you're actively trying to find problems with rather than things to be defined. And the first principle is that you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. Yeah, <laughs> Richard Feynman was—I I, I love him. A great, great physicist from from Caltech or nearby. So in Pasadena, California, super, super cool dude. And and another example of you know the um, in order to be able to explain something to people, you need to be able to understand it, I understand it yourself. But. Uh, so uh, w- w- what do we think about confirmation bias and uh, how does it apply to poker i mean you already alluded some of it earlier
0: yeah i mean you know it, all of these biases are, are quite tough to navigate like it's confirmation bias is just all over twitter it's all mm-hmm. over just social media in general um, and it actually kind of the, the algorithms play into our confirmation bias as well by creating these sort of uh echo chambers that give us information that we want to hear but but I think like confirmation bias in poker is, is very detrimental to to people because it stops growth and it also stops us from analyzing things more objectively right it, it's the opposite or it's actually it's being results oriented right and that's it's, right it's exactly being results oriented, which is, you know, if you if you listen to if you watch the Ten Commandments of Poker, um, like number one is Thou shalt not be results oriented when you when you play poker, right? So like, yeah, I mean, you have to be just quite careful about. I guess first is is understanding what you do believe and what you do think right like have have you previously fooled yourself going back to that quote by Richard Feynman ha, ha, and if so then where and how and why and what should you also analyze and take into consideration as well um which yeah it can go down a rabbit hole of like finding it hard to believe much of anything right <laughs> you no know, that, that, no that's, no, down, that's, downside. that's actually
1: I think, I honestly think it it depends how you do it. I think that it's actually a good heuristic, I would argue, that's where meta humility lives, right? That's why I think we need meta humility, right? If If you always say, you know what, I'm incompetent, that's not meta humility, that's basically handicapping yourself, right? But if in the back of your head, you know, listen, I mean, I'm a human, I have inherent limitations, I will never be able to overcome those limitations no matter what, that's the meta humility. So, you know, I have to question myself, at all times. What that means though, however, is not to impede yourself, not what you when you try things. It's like you're going to try the things that you're going to try, but in the back of your head, when you stop and ponder, when you do the exercise, when you when you go and you practice, then you're going to say, Maybe I need to take a step back. I know I've said that, I've used that idea 10 times over, I've used it a hundred times over. Heck, I've been using it for the past 10 years of my life. Maybe, maybe it needs to be questioned, right? I mean, maybe we need to think about it. Is this you know you know i never limp maybe you know some people say you know limping is is occasionally a, a good thing maybe try it again maybe see if there is something uh, something in there but uh, but don't limp seriously though <laughs> I mean, i'm kidding that's a joke all right so i think i think you you're, you're you're absolutely absolutely right about this and what are some instances of um uh, what's the instances of, of confirmation bias? Like where are poker players habitually? Um, and you mentioned one already, like being results oriented, right? What are some situations where say, see, I told you, I run bad, you know, or like st- stuff like that, where they basically isolate a specific component of a of, of the data and focus on that to prove themselves that they were right about something.
0: Yeah, I think it manifests in many different ways, but I have one personal story that I think is quite funny um, that that applies here. I, I was at a final table in Tunica, which you know is a, quite a long time ago if I was ever at a final table. Uh, I believe it was like WSOP Circuit 2006 or seven or something okay. like that, and um I made the final table, made it to day two. Back in those days, you played one day until you made the final table, and then you came back and played the final table. And they had like a bleacher set up around the final table. And this old couple um, who was watching the final table, uh, I had 30% of the chips in play. So, quite actually, me and another guy had 30%. So, like everybody else had not many chips. Um, we were okay. the overwhelming chip leaders. And 30% each
1: or 30%, 30% each. Okay. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. And another
0: player had like 15% or so, like third place. Um, and they, they pulled me aside, um, before the final table started and and said, you know, these things get crazy. I I was, you know, 21. So they were, um, giving me, giving me their, their advice and, and feedback from watching these things, uh, play out. These, these things are crazy. You know, you can sit tight, and uh, just just play well and like don't don't get in there too early on, you know. Just like let let the tournament kind of come to you, basically. And right. I remember being twenty one and you know just uh, obviously being very humble and accepting all, all of the the wisdom that I could get from everyone. Uh, that's that's a joke, Duncan. By the way, there's no there, there is literally I know. zero I know. humility there. I know. Um, second hand of the final table. I get Kings and get it all in pre versus the player who is in third place with 15% of the chips. Um, I get it in with Kings. They have aces and I doubled them up and I just kind of, you know, it was a moment where I locked eyes with them in the bleachers and they just kind of looked at me and they were <laughs> like, I could just see their, their sadness and disappointment. Like, didn't you just listen to what we told you not to get involved? Um, And that to me is like just a funny little story about like confirmation of like, yeah, we we told you not to get involved in a spot where like obviously you have kings versus aces. Right, 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 right. right, right. Nothing to do. Um, And subsequently I totally imploded at that final table and got sixth place. And the only reason why I got sixth was because I had so many chips that I couldn't bust out sooner than the other four people. Um, But (laughs) anyway, yeah, that to me, like when players... Um talk about like Ace King, for instance, and I talk to everybody around here, like ninety percent of the people busted out with Ace King, like it's a drawing hand, and you know these sort of like they're they're almost tropes in the in the poker world at, at this point. um yeah that those are all examples of like confirmation bias, just seeking out, oh, did you bust with Ace King? like how have you done with Ace King today? like you know that to me is it, they're just trying to confirm that Ace King is not that great of a hand and shouldn't be played aggressively, et cetera.
1: That's exactly right. Or you know, I never hit those draws. You know, I, I never, I never hit a flush draw or, or stuff like that. And and maybe they hit like three draws in a row, but those chasing don't register.
0: Chasing is bad, right? Ch- Ch- chase, chase, right? Chasing is bad. Which, by the way, chasing—it depends Ch- on what you Wait. chase. Chasing you chase is a good word. Word, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say chasing is a great. I had to catch myself. Uh... <laughs>
1: You're too slow. You're too slow, bro. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm
0: <laughs> gonna ignore that landmine, actually. Just use the word chasing, it's totally fine and acceptable and um doesn't doesn't mean anything. Um, so anyway, that that's those are all my stories, and now I'm so flustered that I, I don't know what to say.
1: No, that's great, that's great. I I, I think that, that that's an excellent story, and people people like to do that. You see, you know, just looking at it at a single data point, you know, uh and this is incredibly dangerous when, when it comes to poker. And uh, the way I like to, to see it as an example, I mean, for, for poker commentators, be be wary of any poker commentator who, while they see their cards, they never tell you that somebody makes the opposite of what you would expect to do if you could see the cards. So an example of that would be, let's say that somebody's facing a, a, bet, a river decision on, on the river. The other guy clearly is bluffing you know, and then they're sitting there with a bluff catcher, let's say an underpair, like tens, there's an ace on the, on the board. And then, you know, the commentator says, you know, maybe that person should call with tens. For, for me, that's, that's again, that's confirmation bias. Like a good commentator should actually tell, you know, the listener uh, sometimes, or at least suggest a, a line, which is obviously wrong if they could see the cards, right? I mean, and that's 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 a sign of a good commentator. Right? Somebody who is not biased, by the cards they see because again poker is we don't have that information real time and that's that's another example of of a lot of confirmation bias
0: and to be fair to the poker commentators out there as somebody that breaks down hand histories um, mm-hmm. with students and with my wolves all the time um whenever the whole cards are up right and we're looking at the hand history like it is quite difficult to I agree block out that information yes, and agree. make like a rational judgment call Um, to the point where like I tell my guys like hide the cards because okay. I don't I don't want to know because if I do know I'm going to be biased like that's how pervasive it is whether subconsciously it's like uh, I know what they have so like now my opinion is just totally tainted
1: I, I do too and actually that's a very good point you know it's, it's very very difficult and and actually brings to another important question: Can can biases uh, be avoided?
0: That's I, I don't know. What, what's your opinion I, I, on I, that? My my
1: my my my, uh, my approach to this is the answer is is I mean it's much more nuanced than that. But the, my approach to that is no, and the reason for that is because we cannot discard all the influences that we got from the time we were born uh, all the way to what we ate this morning, right? So yeah. it's very very difficult. Right.
0: it's very well, why do not we just segue right now yeah. to cursive knowledge because this okay. is like the perfect this flows <laughs> almost perfectly into cursive knowledge but anyway go, finish go your, your statement
1: no. no 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 you're absolutely right I mean this is the, we, can, we can talk about that but yeah I think I think it's very difficult and and I think people who say that they're unbiased they're probably the most biased people in the world because they're also biased and misguided right because we cannot get rid of of, of the biases that we have, the only thing that I, I feel we, we can do, and of course I can elaborate in, in a separate podcast, but the, the only thing we can do is basically tame those biases, or be aware of them, or give disclaimers first and foremost to ourselves, because sometimes we have those biases and we don't even know about it. Right. right. So, but it's very, very difficult for the biases to, to to be avoided.
0: And speaking of you know biases, like I said, I, I've been watching Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart, and another. Mm-hmm another point that she made that I think applies directly to poker, um, is that we think of ourselves as logical, cognitive beings that have emotions when we're actually emotional beings that have cognition. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's quite a big, uh, difference Mm -hmm. in, in that thinking and that, We think that we can just like tame these biases and tame these emotions when the reality is they're just, that's just who we are. It's how we're constructed, um, which makes it incredibly difficult to avoid them or to you know not get caught up in them. And I, I think just having awareness that you may be biased is probably the first step, like asking the question of like, am I biased here? Uh, do I think I am to the best of my ability? And in which case you, you probably are and will probably miss it in many cases, uh, even with that.
1: And, and to your point, Brad, because you're making an excellent point, we're emotional human beings with cognition, right? This is, this is an idea actually that Daniel Kahneman is talking about in his in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. he the, the metaphor he's given, which I absolutely love, and I'm going to paraphrase it here, he's talking about two systems. System one, which is essentially what you would call the emotional system, the one which is very responsive, right? The one that doesn't think, the instinctive one. And then system two, the slow processing one you know, and and the one where you have to uh, to take a second and think about it. So system one would be the one responsible for when you're driving, you hit the brake. You don't think about it. When you see danger, when you see something out of the ordinary, immediately in split second, you will hit the brake. System two will be the one that will do a long division. Take your time. Think about it. Get the decimal point right, right? So what happens, and this is actually very interesting, the two can conflict with one another. What I often tell to my students is that when you do high level math, two plus two is no longer four. Your brain cannot process, you know, uh, quick information anymore because you've dug into the depths of system two. You're slowly thinking you're in a different realm right? So that idea that we're emotional human beings with, uh, with cognition is exactly that. Most of decisions are in split seconds, and usually they're good because we survive. That means we have the genes of people who are able to reproduce, which means they avoid all the dangers in the past. We're great at this. Human beings are amazing. Humans are awesome, right? But occasionally, there's going to be a task that the instinctive, you know, snap judgment, um, a system is not gonna be able to do it correctly. And that's what we need to slow down. We need to basically regress in the system one capabilities for a second. We're not gonna be able to do two plus two equals four quickly anymore because we're in system two territory. And I'm oversimplifying, of course, and you know, psychologists, they're just screaming on their screens. But that's the, the basic idea. And that is a very good point that you mentioned. And we are emotional human beings. We're instinctive human beings. With cognition, So we need to slow down when we need to put the cognition into it. It's not our, our default mechanism.
0: <clears throat> right. And we could also go into how that affects human beings' ability to navigate a game like poker, being emotional creatures with cognition. I would be on the side of like, it makes it really hard to be totally rational in every single decision that you make, regardless of... Who you are as a human being, um, but segueing in, you know that could be a topic of a never another episode of Philosophical Friday. But uh, the um, curse of knowledge is the the final one that we're going to do today, um, and yeah, I'll I'll let you give a breakdown of the curse of knowledge, and then yeah, we'll we'll just go from there.
1: Absolutely, and this is basically the curse of the educator, right? What differentiates good educators from bad ed- educators? The idea is that once you understand something, you presume it to be obvious to everyone, right? Especially if it's something you've been doing for a long time. Come on, seven dudes, you're never supposed to be involved with that hand, right? I mean, it's, it's instinctive. It's, it has come to your unconscious competence level, right? I mean, you, you're not even thinking about it. And let me read a little bit of, of what we have here in the notes. Things make sense once they make sense, so it can be hard to remember why they didn't. We build complex networks of understanding and forget how intricate the path to our available knowledge really is. And essentially essentially, what that says is that, you know, we don't truly know exactly how, uh, you know, knowledge um, transitions from one of the, uh, is being transferred, excuse me, how knowledge is being transferred from one person to another. We don't really know exactly how we learn. That's why, you know, There's researchers in education. We don't know exactly how learning occurs. And it does occur when it occurs. And sometimes we forget how it happened. What clicked it for us and what clicks it for one person doesn't click it for another. Yeah. When teaching someone... Oh, sorry. You wanted to to add something here,
0: brother? No, no. You you can go ahead and and finish.
1: Yeah. When, when, When teaching someone something new, go slow and explain like they're 10 years old but without being patronizing. That's another curse of the educator, right? I mean, I've been, I've been accused many, many times, you know, that sometimes I'm too slow in the way I'm explaining things and I, and I apologize in advance. Um, well, repeat. you're kind
0: of stupid, so I have to. Yes, I am I exactly. To, that's what I'm saying. Have to slow down for you.
1: Uh, that's. It. Uh, oh no, no, no! I thought you were talking about me. And I was like, I am stupid. <laughs> yes. So I was like,
0: yeah, that makes sense. I, I was talking about all your students. Don't worry about <laughs> all it. All my dude. students. So I was <laughs> like,
1: no, Brad, you nailed it. I am stupid. So that's why I'm saying slowly for me to understand it too. Re- repeat key points and f- facilitate active practice to help Im- embed knowledge. And this is one of the hard. I mean. Now I'm speaking from personal experience. This is one of the hardest, hardest things there is. You know, trying to basically pretend that something—not um, necessarily—you know—you don't know it. Because again, I go from the assumption that I, you know, personally, I don't know anything. But at, at least you haven't seen it before. You don't have the experience that you do, and, and that is unquestionable. Like when you you're teaching a subject, you most likely have a lot of experience in it, whether or not you understand it fully. It's a different question. That experience needs to be taken back a step so that to relieve the the same experience that the students are having. Try to relieve that experience of trying to approach it for the first time, experience Mm -hmm. it for the first
0: time. Yeah, it it is quite difficult and is also what makes a bad teacher – and, and great teachers, right? Like that's that's the difference is relaying that information, transferring it to other people in a way that they can understand. You know, that that's the the thing that it's difficult, yet I love that problem just as a human being. It's like, I know this thing and somebody else doesn't know this thing. And like, how do I bridge that gap in a way that resonates with them so that they get it, right? They get it much faster than it it took me or much quicker than it took me to get it because I was on my own figuring this out um, from the jumper, learn it from uh, another person or just however the information kind of came to me. But yeah, I mean that, that to me is like creating that map to help bridge that gap is incredibly challenging, incredibly difficult. And I think very few people, coaches, educators invest the amount of time that's appropriate in solving these questions and solving this problem and building, you know, that bridge or that map that can help human beings understand something much better. Um, it, it's it's a major challenge of teaching. It's a major challenge of coaching. Um, I tend to like that challenge though, just because I like thinking deeply about things and I like answering weird or sol- solving weird problems that maybe nobody else does enjoy solving.
1: Absolutely, no, no, no that, 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 that's great, and 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 I do and I think. That is, uh, this is actually essentially that challenge that you're describing. I mean, it reminds me, it reminds me of 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 Socrates, basically, and I mean, people call it now the Socratic method, but basically the idea of uh, trying to uncover truth by asking questions. That challenge that you're describing is the idea of essentially trying to get yourself out of the problem, but in a heuristic kind of re- realistic type of way. What do I mean by that? Like, let me give you an, a specific example. Let's say that uh, again, in very broad strokes, because we don't wanna go into complicated examples, in very broad strokes, let's say that we're trying to explain to somebody why in general aggression is something that is needed in poker, right? I mean, why, for example, betting is typically better than just checking or taking like passive lines, right? In a vacuum. There's no way we can convince anybody to say, you know, betting, you should be betting, you know, like that, that doesn't make any sense. So we need to ask ourselves, okay, why do we bet? First of all, we need to ask ourselves like, why do we bet? And then we ask ourselves, okay, what happens if we don't bet? So let's let's throw that away, Picasso style, right? I mean, let's let's forget about betting. There's no betting. What happens in a game with no betting? Ask like that's a question we ask ourselves, right? I mean, first of all, but then we can ask the, the students, what happens in a game where there's no betting? Imagine poker with no betting, right? And this is something we can do. It doesn't matter the level of cognition we are in the poker, we can envision a game without betting, right? And that's what I would ask my students, like, let, let's, 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 let's play that game for a second. What happens in a game of poker where no betting is allowed? I mean, everything else is the same, but there's, there's, there's no betting. Let's say we have aunties so that we play for something. So just aunties, but no more betting. What happens there?
0: You just check it down. Exactly. You check it down. Or if there's no aunties, you choose to call the blind and then you check it down.
1: You check it down. Exactly. Very good. And then, and then, you know, so and then, and then, what happens? You know, like if I've been asking that question myself. I mean, what happens in that case in the long run, right?
0: So, well, who wins? All, all, all of your equity gets realized. That's right. that's a thing that happens. Oh, exactly.
1: No. That's a, that's a very sophisticated answer, by the way. A, a plus for Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
0: you. Since nobody's betting, I, I get to always realize my, my equity. That's um, correct. Who wins? Which, I mean the the person that chooses the highest equity hands to call with in the appropriate situations and are able to compare their equity versus the equity of the remaining ranges, in which case like a hand that has, you know, an equity advantage versus like the big blind that has playing hundred percent of hands and you're on the button, right? That's like, that's that,
1: all of that is actually perfectly perfectly correct and and of course uh, no, no no surprise there but what happens if there's no calling it's just antes you know there's no there's no hand selection because there's no there's no betting involved
0: yeah then then the rake wins i mean the
1: rake wins exactly totally so random. all yeah. win equally intended the rake wins that's that's exactly right so it must be the case that the betting does something right so the betting actually does something and already you know that should trigger a um a well, but there's something interesting about betting. Well, let's, well,
0: let's, well, what about this one? Like we said no betting, right? But technically the blinds are a blind bet, right? So what if there are no blinds? You
1: right, know? exactly. What, what happens if there's no blinds? Exactly. That's, that's another important question. We do realize that we actually play for the blinds because there's, there's absolutely, if, if you, you allow betting, but you don't allow blinds, then you don't play unless you have the nuts. Like why yeah, you, risk? You, you
0: have aces and then you just go all in. And exactly. that's, that, that's the whole game, right?
1: That's the whole game. Exactly. That's another thing. These are important, but, but you, you, you get the idea, right? So by actually taking stuff out, right, that's the only way we're forcing ourselves to get right. out. Like we, we we deprive ourselves from the tools that we've been using all of our lives. And then we play these hypothetical scenarios. And I think that is a heuristic against the curse of knowledge.
0: Yeah. And I don't know if it's like kind of surprising to anybody else, but it's, it's like shocking to me. When you actually fundamentally think that like all the actions in poker, all the grids, all the charts, they're designed to attack those one and a half bl- uh, blinds that mm-hmm. are out there, right? Like that's right. what the whole game is centered around, right. those right. b- those blinds, which is why like protecting your blinds um, is quite important because like... Right.
1: And attacking somebody else's blinds. And
0: attacking other people's blinds is also quite important, right? Because like that's what's stimulating the action from everywhere. Everything kind of stems from the attacking of those blinds, which, yeah, when you really think about it is like, I don't know, it's just kind of shocking or interesting in, in my opinion.
1: Absolutely. And this one of those aha moments, you know, that when you see that, let's say your win rate from the button is whatever, like, you know, a third of a blind per hand or something like that and then you raise it from the, from the button w- with a strong hand in your opponent's fold, and you get 1.5 blinds, you know, all of a sudden you realize, holy smokes, I made 6x my average win rate from that one hand. You know, on average, I win, you know, a third of a blind per hand, and all of a sudden I made, you know, six of those things.
0: Well, you know? that is a little deceptive because, like, the average of each individual hand that you raise from the blinds, like, they all have an average and an expected value.
1: No, no, no. What what I'm saying is that if you if you raise from from the button, let's say, and you have a win rate of about a third per hand, and in any situation where you win the blinds outright, that's like six x your your average.
0: Right, right, right. Uh, What what I I I was what I was saying is when you have aces, it's going to be much higher than the average, right? Than the average hand that you open. Um, In which case, I'm still going to be. You're never going to make me not sad about raising aces on the button. Duncan and the blinds folding.
1: You're absolutely uh, correct, and that's why I said a good hand. I didn't say the best hand. Yeah. Okay, However, okay. yes. Okay. But you're you're absolutely right. I mean that that that's actually true. But even with aces, uh, it's not it, it's not insane. It's not like you know. But I mean, obviously, like we, we make a lot of a lot of uh. We're
0: maximizers, Duncan. It's more than one point five. That's all right. That, that's, that's the true. only thing that matters.
1: <laughs> <to me. laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly correct. So.
0: Um but yeah the, the curse of knowledge is where where we're at in our biases um and yeah i think when you're it's a good tool to use for growing your knowledge of poker too is like asking yourself why right like doing doing the thing that you know kids do that can drive myself and other parents crazy right. ask why about everything and just like keep asking why until like you get to this point where you can no longer answer it um but like why do i open why do, why am i betting a third on the flop what's happening here like how do we find ev how do we find equity what does equity mean like all of these whys about like functionally what's happening at the poker table when you do these things why do we play you know king queen off from middle position like why do we play a three better fold strategy uh you know from all the spots that are not the button or the big blind when we're facing an open, right? Like why, why do the solvers advocate for such a thing and are there instances where we could outperform solvers in those spots? I'm just like, why did, why does all of this stuff happen? And then you you find yourself understanding poker. Well, you you either find yourself in in one of two ways. One is you you go insane um, and you lose your mind. And the other thing is you just learn more about poker And you understand the game at a deeper level than you previously have, which is ultimately a really good thing because we've talked about it before in the solver discussion about really needing to understand what's happening in a solver that that gives you the outputs that it does. Well, how can you progress and think about poker at a high level if you don't even know what's happening when you place a bet? like like all the things that are happening when you place a bet or when you check or when you call um, because all these things have utility and all of these things are doing something. Um, and it's up to us as poker players to really understand that. And I think that it's kind of like uh, all, everything that we have in modern poker these days is like layered on top of that. And we just kind of forget the basics or forget to explore um, the very basics of the way that the game is constructed so that you can make sense of everything that's then layered on top of that, is just a critical piece of learning and growth that almost everybody just skips right over.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and to your point, uh, an extra thing that you can do on top of those whys, which I think they're fundamental, would be a heuristic, if you will, because sometimes you know, asking a why might not have an answer. One way to sort of like trigger an answer or a, a explore an answer would be find an alternative what would be the alternative right you asking the question why do i want to have a three bedding range you know let's say from from the small blind what is the alternative what can happen in the alternative explore try i mean we to tie some of the conversations we've we talked before try different things you know experiment like sit at the poker table try those things see how they they, they work for you and also some of your other very important points i mean there's so much to unpack in what you said it's just just super brilliant the the idea for example that 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 you mentioned that um uh you you may go insane right which is actually pretty pretty true like you mentioned that earlier like successful poker players need to be a little bit crazy and i and i would add to that that you know it's that's why you know poker is not for everybody you know there's there's nothing wrong with that i mean i You know, if I know I cannot throw a football, for example, if you guys want to, you know, have fun, just throw me, you know, sit down at the table and just keep throwing me footballs. And then, you know, enjoy, make bets. And how many of those am I going to catch? You know, it's (laughs) going to be over under 20 percent, you know. So I, I
0: take it you're not good at catching nor throwing the football.
1: That, that is absolutely correct, sir. I, I, I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I may be the worst <laughs> thrower and catcher on the <laughs> entire planet, you know, so, and it's, and it's okay. You know, I'm sure, you know, people, you know, can, can give me tips and everybody can improve on things, but you know, there's, there's people with like different types of kinesthetic intelligence, uh, you know, they, it, that, that that's okay. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with, with any of that. And I, I and I know this is not something I'm good at, so, um, but the uh, what, what you're talking about, the idea of experimentation, the idea of asking why, the, and you know, I'm, I'm also suggesting you know try the alternatives that can actually help you, you know, build uh, a certain um, a, a training uh, regimen that can actually help you in, improve as a player and decide for yourself if this is something that is for you.
0: Yeah, it's. I, I would say though that like it's quite a difficult thing. When I, uh, you know, made the joke about, you know, going insane. The reason is because it's just, it's very difficult to find the, all the lies. And there's some whys that I'm spotty on, right? Um, and people ask questions in Slack, uh, Greatness Village, about like a preflop spot, right? And I try to convey that like, we need to understand how, preflop works right and like what are their principles in play here because like we can i can help you with this spot but like it's like give a man a fish or teach a man to fish right um they need to be taught and you're not going to ever be able to learn what's going on until you understand the fundamental concepts that make up this game that you're trying to play um and it's quite difficult to go down into that lower level um, I would say for some people, maybe even impossible, to to hit the bottom and see exactly all the things that are going. Just because there's so many layers and so much nuance that that's, right. that's happening when you play poker.
1: That's right, and and that that is why I spend so much time on on chapter three uh, on, on my book, not to to plug the book again or anything like that, but the idea of what 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 goes into those pre flop charts, like why. Are they way they are? What is it so interesting about specific hands versus others? And it there is a lot of there is a lot of nuance. And once again, the, the reductive process works there. You know, you remove a certain assumption. You say, okay, what happens if I if I play this hand instead of not playing, or what happens if I don't play this hand instead of playing? And then you get to see uh, you get to see the difference. Of course, if you do, you can either do that with a million data points or a trillion data points or we can do this as a thought experiment you know sort of like you know try to to make a case for it but e- e- either case however is is not going to be, is not gonna be it's not going to be clear cut it's going to be very very difficult to to do
0: yes and you know as we close down this episode of philosophical friday if you listen to the first uh, episode where i had Duncan on and he was talking about writing his book um because it was a thing i was thinking about a ton at that time um, I recognize the challenge of explaining in a simple way the things that are going on at the poker table. It is a Herculean task, and I did not envy Duncan having to write that, um, put it down into words systematically in a way that helped people make sense and see all of these things that are going on. It's just an extreme challenge and quite quite a difficult endeavor. So, yeah, man, very uh, many kudos for you taking on that project because i think uh, i i don't know if people who are listening to this right now really understand the level of difficulty that that goes on in trying to do that
1: thank you i appreciate that yeah i mean it's uh on, on, the, on the one hand is uh, you know it feels like uh um some people, you know, like some of the of, of the criticism is that uh, oh, Duncan, you know, like some of that stuff is 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 obvious, and uh, you know, we, we we tend to like what I tend to quote is that uh, um, I think it was uh, I think it was Schrödinger who said that everyone's Schrödinger, but I could be I could be wrong about this. So, um, but there was a scientist uh, who basically said when there is a there's a new idea. Uh, everybody is uh, rejecting it as absolutely ridiculous uh, until eventually it, it, that idea, if it's a good idea, it sort of like resists um, the, um, uh, uh, the the, the uh, resist the
0: the criticism, the, the pushback, that, all the
1: exactly that that is exactly correct. Exactly the criticism and and, and, and the pushback, and then eventually it is accepted as obvious. So yeah. now everything in the end, and and it's again, almost that is,
0: anti-fragile, right?
1: Anti-fragile, exactly. So it is a little bit dangerous to to talk about, you know, what is obvious and what isn't, because first of all, what is obvious is not obvious for everybody. That's exactly the, the the point of the curse of knowledge. And second of all, you know, what does obvious mean? If if an argument makes sense, it doesn't mean that it's clear for somebody to come up with the argument in the first place. Right? so one and that happens in mathematics all the time. You know you ask somebody a question to a riddle, which is you know complicated, they don't know the answer to it, then you give them the answer to say, oh, yeah, the answer is obvious. Yeah, yeah well, why didn't huh. you give it to me in the first place?
0: <laughs> hindsight bias. Um,
1: hindsight bias, exactly. So there's there's a, there's, there's a lot of all of that stuff. So obvious is not necessarily a measure. Um it, whether or not something is obvious is not necessarily a measure of whether uh, it is it, useful or uh it is easy to 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 reach out
0: yeah i I agree completely, and I think that all of those things that if if they are obvious to someone, I would say that's a good indicator that you need to think more deeply about said thing because these things are not obvious at all um and with that said, you know I think it's time to wrap up this week's episode of Philosophical Friday. It's been great. Um, yeah, let us know in the community or via email um, whether or not you liked the this dive into biases and which biases you would like us to cover next time. Uh, spoiler alert, even if nobody tells us that you liked them, we're still going to make the episodes just... <laughs> You can deal with it. Um,
1: <laughs> because we need to keep our sanity a little bit. But we're happy, by the way. We're happy to, uh, we, we'll we we'll listen to the community. So if you guys have uh, some questions. And where can they find us, uh, Brett?
0: Yeah, greatnessvillage.com. Just join the email newsletter. Hop into Slack community. And there's a Philosophical Friday channel. Um, hashtag philosophical dash friday that you can access both me and duncan and ask questions to your heart's content or you know yell at duncan scream at duncan feel free that's actually encouraged in the community don't don't yell at me though but duncan he, it's encouraged he can take
1: it yeah that's absolutely he, he can take it don't, don't worry about it he, he, he's greek uh he he was raised in the environment where you know don't worry about it greeks say uh, we have very very thick skin so so go uh, ahead on. brutal <laughs> so, all right
0: <laughs> good well played sir well played
1: and on Twitter, oh, CP, CPG,
0: yeah,
1: podcast, c- yeah, c- CPG Podcast, yeah, at CPG Podcast
0: and Ask the Math Doctor.
1: That's right. Excellent. And on YouTube also, we'll you know, post uh, links on uh, why Alex beats Bobby at poker.
0: Yes. Um, you guys ha- have a good week. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Absolutely. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.